this is Stephen Bates' um, article called On the Table from Quaderns number 5271. On the Table. The domestic rituals that we all share in our everyday lives lie at the heart of housing design and any consideration of home as a cultural notion. It is through an understanding of how these activities play out and a willingness to allow them to find their form in space that design can be meaningful. This requires empathy, treading in the footsteps of others and seeing the world through their eyes in order to offer possibilities possibilities that might go beyond our own imagination as designers. To do this, it is important not only to recognise the origins of these rituals, their evolution and relevance, but also to acknowledge that specific forms and objects have over time become inextricably connected with many of these activities. Figure one is a photo from Rossi's scientific autobiography of a farmhouse hall near Parma. A central thread to the idea of domesticity is the condition of companionship, the sharing of time and place with others. The word companion evolved through Middle English and Old French from the Latin compagno, formed by the word con, meaning together, with, and panis, bread, or more generally food. The idea of breaking bread with someone lies at the root of our idea of companionship, coming together at the table, sharing food, coming within touch of others. Similarly, the term convivial indicates a sociable, friendly, enjoyable atmosphere and is based on the Latin convivium, for a feast or banquet, and more broadly for living together, from con and vivo. The table is central to our notion of domesticity and has evolved over time from from a practical device providing a working surface and support for domestic implements to a space-making object that reinforces social and emotional bonds. It is perhaps the most significant communal object in a home, a signifier of intimacy, which, while in origin indicated by the sharing of food, has evolved in parallel with contemporary lifestyles to accommodate other rituals. Amidst the increasingly private spaces of the contemporary home, the table endures as a communal docking point for feasting or romantic dinners for two, for homework or as a place to spread things out. It reinforces the bonds of companionship, providing a venue for togetherness and a catalyst for family gatherings and household activities. In the domestic setting of the 15th century, and for over a hundred years afterwards, the table was a demountable, was a demountable, a flat surface supported on trestle legs to be stacked against the walls of the room along with benches and brought out when necessary. Figure two is the hall at Penshurst Place, Kent. Looks like a medieval hall house. For the medieval home was a public rather than a private place, and in most houses, the large ground floor room or hall was in constant use for cooking, eating, entertaining, for business, and even for sleeping. Domestic space needed to be used in numerous ways over the day and night. 
for various activities which often occurred in close succession and required rooms to be quickly reorganised. No attempt was made to form permanent arrangements of furniture, as constant improvisation was required. The table itself was used for preparing food, eating, counting money and even for sleeping on. The French and Italian words for, the furni for furniture, mobiles and mobili, both derive from the Latin mobilis, movable. Demountability also suited the semi-nomadic lifestyle of the nobility, who moved from residence to residence with their household furniture and furnishings in tow. Unlike the master bed or the armchair, the table was treated more as a piece of equipment than as a prized possession. The evolution of the table from a temporarily useful tool in the Middle Ages to a more permanent fixture, as we know it in the 21st century, occurred in parallel to a number of overlapping phenomenological developments within a relatively short period of time in the mid-18th century. The development and refinement of the chair for comfortable sitting, the assigning of certain rooms to specific uses reinforced by furniture dedicated to specific functions, and the development of society gatherings which focused on conversation, card playing, embroidery, tea drinking and debate. As the home became more a place of leisure and rooms became connected to one another within a ritualised continuum, the objects placed in them came to signify their use, as the objects themselves, the table for instance, became traces of specific functions. Such change in signification required the formal appearance of the table to change from a lightweight demountable element to one endowed with weight and physical presence. The development of the drawing room in the last quarter of the 18th century is an example of this. In this room, which became mainly the domain of women in the house, tables and chairs were permanently located at the centre of the room, rather than against the wall. The room was consciously arranged to denote a certain decorum and the status of the hostess and the status of the hostess, and so the table became more elaborate, often heavier as an object, and was no longer used as, merely, as a merely functional object, but also to, to define the actual space around it. The known use and signification of a room were reinforced by furniture and provided inhabitants with a common code that gave spatial structure to the domestic setting. It also gave them intellectual control over architectural spaces, for example, to withdraw into a more private space or to engage in a more intimate dialogue with others. Parallel to this personalisation of space was the evolution of the concept of self, which first emerged during the Enlightenment and by the mid-18th century was being redefined from a scientific concept to an anthropological and social state. Interior spaces came to relate to the idea of interiority, addressing not only the challenges of comfortable spatial arrangements, but also the question of staking out a personal territory, giving it meaning and representing it. The way we live became a sign of the way we think, feel and imagine the world. 
While representing our view of the world, furniture also provided the prop for such speculation within a protected interior, an ergonomic support for thinking or writing. These reflections on the evolution of the meaning of furniture and of the table in particular create a context for working as a designer. They explore the complex and multi-layered condition we call domesticity and offer insights into our embodied relationship with furniture and space. The floor installations of Carl Andre are used to occupy space. His sculptures in iron, steel, copper, aluminium, sawn timber and clay seize and hold the surrounding space. In accommodating and reflecting the dimensions and form of the room in which the work is placed, André makes the place itself an essential component of his sculpture. His works are set out in such a way that the observer is encouraged, sometimes forced, to walk over and around them. These works highlight the setting they occupy, or rather, they give those who experience them a heightened awareness of the surrounding environment. At the forefront of minimalism in the 1960s, André explored the idea of a, quote, active observer whose perception of the work, the surrounding space, and of one, oneself is sharpened through the experience. Inspired by Maurice Merleau-Ponty's phenomenology of perception, André recognised that perception is not just a visual phenomenon, but involves the entire body. His sculptures are not just about the physical objects themselves, but about the space around them and about the observer's physical engagement and encounter with them. In this sense, the object educates the participant. Similarly, the Milanese architect Luigi Caccia Dominioni explored the relationship between space and furniture in the pursuit of domestic comfort in his interior architecture between the 1950s and 70s. <clears throat> in 1947, at the start of his career, Caccia Dominioni concentrated on furniture design and together with Ignazio Gardella, Corrado Corradi dell'Acqua, Maria Teresa and Franca Tozzi established Azucena, a company manufacturing bespoke furniture for residential clients. Combining his educational background in functionalism and his bourgeois upbringing with its focus on ritual and leisure, Caccia Dominioni was able to see the interrelationship between the objects in a room and the room itself. In the context of a weak post-war economy and widespread housing scarcity, with apartments and rooms diminishing in size, Caccia Dominioni prioritised the optimization of space and sought to create a perception of generos generosity and comfort in his work. As a self-styled pianista, a pun which conflates the idea of a piano player and a plan maker, he approached the domestic plan as a spatial continuum to be experienced by the individual in an uninterrupted flow, as if <clears throat> in constant movement. He declared, I am an architect to the core and I find urbanism everywhere, 
In reality, the apartment is a micro city with its paths, its constraints, its public and private spaces. I have always had a passion for small spaces and have always done all that I can to make them feel larger. For example, by extending the roots contrary to a certain trend to reduce them. I don't like a direct entry into the living room because then there are no surprises. While the role of the architect, I believe, is also to evoke a sequence of emotions, my entrances, my staircases, even the furniture are urban solutions. In designing apartments, Caccia Dominioni imagined invisible pathways that connected spaces with moments of encounter and surprise, such as curved stretches of walls or small niches, to evoke emotions and to amuse the owner. These pathways reveal themselves only gradually, creating scenographic impressions and disclosing unexpected details. <clears throat> Furniture pieces provide settings that establish distinct territories and prompt a variety of possible uses. In contrast to straight lines, which immediately show what is to come, his plans work with diagonal views and segmented routes between spaces, enriching the character of an apartment without limiting its sense of spatial generosity. On entering, one catches a glimpse of a series of spaces, but it is never clear where they actually end so that the apartment feels bigger than it actually is. Through the shaping of rooms, the placing of furniture and the control of sight lines, the dimension of the interior is not fully revealed but unfolds as one moves through the plan and new vistas open up. In Species of Spaces and Other Pieces, Georges Perec presents the interior as a serialisation of objects, movements and operations which become ultimately and intimately linked to the inner life of the mind. Referring to his own writing table, he emphasises that this is not simply an object on which he writes, but a carrier, carrier of specific types of imagination. Perec was aware that the, that the domestic interior, like the table, has always been a metaphor for consciousness in all its dimensions. Interiority is a space where all the trajectories of consciousness as intentional experience unfold, from awareness to remembrance and imagination. The work of such artists, designers and writers feels relevant and informs our work in the making of domestic arrangements. The object, the table in this case, and spaces are entwined. As the object gives both purpose and meaning to the space around it. Today, in the context of compact house planning, the evolution of complex households and our increasing dependence on digital communication, both infrastructural and social, the table remains a central element of the home. Despite the strangely conservative and slow-moving development of spatial alternatives to established domestic arrangements, its role as a setting for bridging people together on the one hand and for making space on the other has endured. While it continues to multitask, the table is still the main catalyst for convivial gatherings in a domestic setting. Coming together at the, at the table still marks moments of intimacy in our increasingly secluded domestic world. Thinking 
about different ways of organising a house, perhaps in resistance to the often impotent tendency to follow linear patterns established by modernist principles based on identifying, quote, functions, the placing of a table contributes to a densification of thought. With the table at the centre, the plan can radiate outwards, transforming a compact plan into an interconnected domestic landscape of views and cross-views of almost rooms and transitional spaces. Tailored in size and shape to fit the space around it like a glove, the table creates a setting in which it is the room itself a micro-environment within a structure of surrounding spaces. A table can be made to ensure the greatest proximity with your companions, so narrow that it dissolves habitual expectations of physical distance and dining becomes an intimate exchange with dining plates, glasses and cutlery forming overlapping patterns. He's got a photo there of St John Restaurant in London. Or it can be dimensioned so that there is no head but only a shared end. A rectangle that wants to be square, encouraging inclusivity and a comfortable distance between those sitting across the table. Um, yeah. A table can be so small that it is, re- it is really the domain of an individual, placed to interlock with a banco against the wall to provide a protective vantage point with natural light from the side. The table may be transformed, moved, folded in parts or rotated, reacting to and interacting with the user in unexpected ways. In so doing, it forms a kind of landscape of events in itself. It can change every day, transforming the space in which it is set. And there's a photo of a table by Enrique Morales called Mesa Inest. The form of a table is sometimes adjusted to respond to the constraints of a particular space. In turn, such modifications influence the dynamics of the relationship that are created between those who sit around it. This is particularly evident when the table is placed in a different space and the original constraint removed. The long table can be many things at one time. A place for a meal for two, a stacking place for books, a perch for a dozing cat, a place to drop the post and keys, a docking point that confirms you are now home, and at another time, a surface cleared for a banquet. The social potential of the table becomes relevant beyond the single family house or apartment for new models of collective living that quietly invite greater interaction between people. Domesticity is a specifically human language where spatial and symbolic arrangements transform mere space into a home. To be a home, a house needs stability and sense of time, a strong embodied relation between an interior space and the sense of interiority that memories and desires bring. The table is a crucial point crucial focal point in the home. It carries the memory of conviviality, the promise of intimacy, as well as the potential for concentrated activity. In the most fundamental way, the table embodies the many ways we inhabit space.